Hello, thanks for joining me for another episode of Seen Anything Good Lately. I'm Jason Solomons and this is the podcast on which I ask writers, filmmakers, actors, musicians what they're up to and what they're watching. So you get loads of fantastic recommendations to guide you through the pile of choices facing every culture fan these days. And this show is no exception. I've been watching Black Sails, which is about pirates. I had the great joy of um, recently watching the Mark Cousins series, Women Make Film. You heard from actress Morphid Clark, star of much-talked-about British horror St Maud, and you heard from documentary maker Kirsten Johnson, whose emotional and inventive new film Dick Johnson is Dead is out now on Netflix. Obviously, we're going to hear a bit more from Morphid and from Kirsten, because otherwise it'd be just a very short show. (laughs) And they've been seeing a lot more than that. So I'll be asking them what they're up to and if they've seen anything good lately and after... I let you in on what I've been watching. I'm in a New York state of mind this week. I found a cute little New York rom-com series thingy called Love Life, starring Anna Kendrick as a young woman called Darby. Uh, I'd never heard of this. She stars as a 20-something trying to get a career and hold down a relationship in Manhattan during the 2010s. It's fun. It's very New York. And I suppose it sits in the continuing tradition of friends, sex in the city and girls in that kind of way. It's a bit like the New York version of the Netflix show Love starring Gillian Jacobs, which is very LA. And somehow, although it's totally unreal in all its dialogue and its naturalistic banter. It's one of those shows that you just need to binge right now. A little half hour dose of something nice, uh, very well performed, occasionally going to something a bit darker and more uncomfortable in its comedy. It's Anna Kendrick, so you know and um it's called love life it's on the bbc here on iplayer it launched hbo max back in the summer in the us i found out and it's already been confirmed for a season two yay as they might say on love life more new york is in on the rocks the new one from sophia coppola i say new but she has rather been in this daddy issues area before as bill murray plays the cool rich art dealing father to rashida jones's struggling writer mum who's married to marlon wayans startup boss although they're actually really quite wealthy and they live in soho in an amazing apartment so uh, you know they're okay Uh, but she suspects that marlon wayans is cheating on her with a new work colleague and what follows is a very watchable uh, comedy with good gags about school mums and new york and Bill Murray is very Bill Murray, although I'm personally a bit past fawning over Bill Murray for being Bill Murray, like he's a comic messiah. He's not. He's just a very lazy actor. But yes, the charm is still there and he works it and Rashida Jones is very good as they both go on this amateur sleuthing bout to find out if Wayans is indeed cheating. Uh, Along the way, there's lots of father-daughter emoting and going to restaurants and there's a generational clash of attitude towards sex and the sexes and occasionally they say things that are very on the money and very uh, sort of pertinent and cut right through. So there's that wisdom that Sophia Coppola wears quite lightly in some of her films 
like Bling Ring and Somewhere and this. So there's a lightness of touch and there's Chet Baker on the soundtrack. So it's in some cinemas, which is kind of worth the trip, but it's also on Apple TV too. But, you know, any excuse for playing some Chet Baker. Both of these shows, I noticed, feature scenes in the Carlisle Hotel's Bemelman's Bar the one with the famous murals on it, which I've never actually seen on screen before until it featured very heavily in many scenes in Woody Allen's recent comedy, A Rainy Day in New York, which he talked about on this show. So, you know, um, I don't know what it means. Hello, Bemelmans. Well done to your PR rep or agent who, or whatever locations hire these days to get themselves gigs. I mean, the walls look fabulous and the cocktails there look absolutely fantastic i need one right now morfith clark is an actress who is at the moment in just about everything she dominated the london film festival last year with two parts in amanda yanucci's the personal history of david copperfield a film which i absolutely love and wish had done better because it's hilarious and she's also got a starring role in the british psychological horror saint maud playing a carer who believes in her own piety and in her own powers where she looks after an ailing diva played by jennifer e so, Carol, how did you and Mandy meet? We met online. Ah, so now you have a menage a trois. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> Maude doesn't like Carol. It's funny, I can't figure out if she's a bigot or if she's just jealous. You know she went sneaking behind my back to try to scare Carol away? <laughs> to save my soul, if I understand correctly. <laughs> Excuse me. Don't run away, I'm talking to you. Maud is my savior, you see. She's been looking out for me in more ways than one. But you got a little carried away, didn't you? So what is it? Am I indecent? No, you're lost. When I caught up with the very busy Morfith Clark, she was filming in New Zealand and I asked her what she was doing on the other side of the world while her star was on the rise here. I'm shooting a project called Lord of the Rings in New Zealand. Yes, yeah. that's that's re- generally what people are doing in New Zealand when you ask the question of them. <laughs> They're either doing something to do with that, which is really weird because when I met you and your entire family last year at the London Film Festival and they were all completely lovely and you went yeah that's us we're hobbits and I didn't know at the time if you knew that you were going to go off to do Lord of the Rings if that was in your head but that's how you described your own family so it's come true now Morphe. I've always quoted Lord of the Rings a lot and now I think I have to try and tone it down because it's just annoying and obnoxious. It's not. Well, listen, it's fantastic to see you doing so well and doing so massively. And congratulations, you've got St Maud coming out. You've also got Eternal Beauty coming out, which um, you're in a little bit as well. Uh, and that, so that's that's kind of a fascinating thing to be dominating the screen. But let's talk about St Maud, because I've been trying to get to you for about a year to talk about St Maud. Uh, what an extraordinary character she is. Yeah. How much work did you do on creating this character? Well, how much was in the, the, the script or already? What sort of collaboration was it to create her? Well, I think what was so exciting about reading Rose's script was that I did have an, a very clear idea of who she was straight away. And then just kind of by lucky twists of fate, Maud kept on being pushed. And I ended up doing um, Dark Materials and Eternal Beauty, which were both quite kind of useful. And just particularly Eternal Beauty, kind of I really think in terms of a film about mental health really 
like has to be and should be seen and I learned a lot from it and I feel that kind of the performance I gave as Maud was probably much more nuanced because I'd done Eternal Beauty. In what way? Because you learnt about the the sort of the, the switches that could happen in, in, in a person when mental health kicks in? It's just another view of what it is to kind of strive to live a life with a very serious mental illness. I'd watched lots of films of a certain type that explore that and just creates is very different. So it kind of just broadened my mind. Well, and what do you think it is that afflicts Maud? I feel that the, the main thing is kind of abandonment and loneliness, abandonment from like society as a whole, and then just like crippling loneliness in a time of like hyperconnectivity. Yeah, but I really feel that, that I kept, I think this was maybe me also trying to kind of save myself, is that I had lots of kind of different ways that the film or Maud's life before could have gone and very much think that she was a, like a victim of her circumstance and that like continuous letdowns. Yeah. And and yet she's doing a very good job in, in a way, or she's got a very big job ahead of her to care for uh, Jennifer Ely's character. You know, she can get her teeth into actual sort of doing what she does best in, in a way. So I think you'd, you'd have thought that maybe she was getting some satisfaction. She was finally going to get some peace. I suppose you could say that she does get some peace by performing to her utmost. I feel that it's been very interesting. I've learned a lot about my family through playing someone who's kind of working in the health service because I think they opened up to me a lot more than they had previously. And what I was really surprised about was that with all my family who work in the health service, they carry around a huge amount of guilt for every time Like I think of all the kind of, I idolise them in the way that kind of people are unhelpfully doing now in terms of like people who are working hard to keep us safe. But I didn't realise that all the things that they remember often are the things that they did wrong or the things that they wish they'd done more. I feel that Maud has to kind of aim for something beyond that because she's been taught so often that she can't do the bare minimum in this in the circumstances that she's in yeah that's it is rather fascinating i see and that's what that's why the film works so well because of those nuances i suppose they're on your face and in your head rather than in the script which is why i asked my initial question about how much work you did to, to sort of to to read in between the lines obviously it helped with rose directing it and having written it rose glass and just her first her first big movie uh, and i remember her telling me at the london film festival last year what a massive horror fan she was almost with with quite glee she was enumerating the sort of number of horror films she'd watched as a young girl that were a little bit like startling uh, and I thought oh hello <laughs> and she sort of says yes she's a bit troubled what, was she bringing a, a lot of horror to you did she make you watch a lot of horror films not particularly and I've I didn't I very much didn't see it as a horror when we were filming it mm. I kind of more just felt kind of terribly sad for for Maud um but in terms of what there was a lot of Ingmar Bergman that was kind of on my list of things to watch. And um, Repulsion was kind of a big one. And also I feel lots of them were kind of older films. And then Ingrid Goes West kind of really brought me into now. And then Prevenge as well. Ingrid Goes West. I don't know Ingrid Goes West. It's Aubrey Plaza and it's about her. She lives through social media while living a very lonely life. So there's kind of quite a lot of similarities. But whereas Maud shuts out all the kind of aspects of being a millennial and being now she feeds on them and um it's very funny and very dark so 
so there was there was this interesting play with what's modern and what isn't in in St Maud in a way as you said she's being a millennial in fact I'd almost forgotten that she is you know very much of now she lives in a modern world but just sort of as you say sort of retreats from it she doesn't really engage with it she, your film could be set in the 60s because you know that seaside town uh, you know has that sort of class that's, I guess that's why you're thinking repulsion with Catherine Deneuve having her sort of interior meltdowns I read her very much as a millennial because I feel that she has a lot of kind of the hang-ups that we have as millennials in terms of having huge expectations of ourselves and a drive to be as productive as possible and make the most of stuff while kind of the system, particularly in Britain, means that it's very difficult to kind of get a job or get on the property ladder or get any of the things that you're supposed to aspire to. And that, yeah, she really fitted that for me because her expectations are just enormous and she lays all the blame on herself, whereas she is trapped. So do you think that the film is in fact a, a sort of, I don't know, a comment on millennial angst, a comment on societal angst? Well, it, you know, it clearly is, but that, the, the, the pressure that a young person is feeling today, uh, probably, probably the world's changed even for them more than when you made it. But actually, it's, it, it, in the way that all good art works, it's, if you think about it now, as I think about it, it's rather prescient, uh, I suppose, as it heads towards its rather incendiary climax. I think for me, that is what the film is to me. But what I've enjoyed so much about being in a horror is that it really becomes whatever the audience kind of feel it is. I've learned so much about the film since it's kind of started to be seen and things that I'd missed that Rose is obviously super aware of, but I was in blissful ignorance just bobbing around being Maud and I'm like, ah, that's so clever. (laughs) <laughs> well it is it's a it's a it's a delight to see you flourishing uh, as i knew you would you're obviously in, in new zealand now being part of something enormous again which is fabulous uh i'm going to ask you if you've seen anything good lately morfid clark well i actually watched mandy yesterday which rose recommended to me and um that was horrifying but i've also been watching um i've been watching black sails which is about pirates in nassau and i kind of watched TV? it it's a series right yeah, but it's kind of, it starts, you start watching it for the pirates and then it turns into this amazing political drama. But there's also kind of amazing reams of text that are kind of reeled out. And and I've just fallen totally in love with Toby Stevens. But it's kind of the opposite of succession because in successions, everyone's awful and cowardly. And in this, no matter how awful they are, they're also brave. Is it modern That's pirates it. or is it old parrots who are pirates? Old, old pirates. It's during the war between Britain and Spain in... I forget the exact date. So I couldn't, wouldn't be a very good director or writer because I'm so late. <laughs> well, I'm 17 something or other other. Let's say that. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you're watching Black Sails. Okay, that's a really good recommendation. I remember when it started and yeah, then, and Toby Stevens was in it. First few episodes and then it becomes what it is. And that's how you're filling your time, is it? In between, I mean, in, in between takes, in between, you know, far from home. You're all right over there. You've been looked after. Well, I've been very looked after and I wish the whole world was here. It's very weird kind of experiencing a terrible situation much more fortuitously than most people. And it has been a big eye opener. But on that, I feel that kind of lots of the stuff I've been kind of reading is just young adult fantasy because I can't deal with anything with too much peril or too much like the real world. <laughs> well, have you been reading then? Well, I've gone back to this Bartimaeus trilogy, which is, and the His Dark Materials, my my go-to. You're in, you're in His Dark Materials. Well, I'm the biggest Dark Materials nerd. So that is still kind of, I still can't believe I'm in that. And I remember when they started casting it, I was like, I'm too old or too young. No. So. Because you knew it so well. 
You were almost yeah. like, yeah, well, if I was making this, I would never put myself in it. Yeah. And so Sister Clara was like the most wonderful surprise. But also just meeting Daphne Keane and being like, that is Lyra. This is Lyra that I've imagined in my mind. So that was marvellous. I've known, I, I know Daphne Keane's mum and dad, which is... As I met Daphne, I was like, "Oh, it's very, very weird now to be to be telling you that I've known you, you know, before you were since you, before you were born. I knew you when you were in your mum's tummy as well." And then she just looks at me like, "Oh God, old journalist or whatever I'm supposed to be." So it's a bit embarrassing, uh, but I'm so pleased for her because she's fabulous, and so are her mum and dad. So that's I'm really excited to, from, from that point of view. Also, lovely to see you in it. Not that I have any uh, dominion over you in that way, but I felt at least I could be a bit avuncular with Daphne. But she's so sort of possessed and and mature that that's just no way you can be she's like taking care of herself so brilliantly she's quite lyra like so that that and st maud coming out must be extraordinary for you to to not be here when st maud is coming out although i suppose you've had the big the big moments because you were with it at the london film festival last year and we've got the london film festival happening again and actually you you chose the better festival because right now it's not quite it's not quite the same thing unfortunately i was so anxious and overwhelmed by everything in that time. We actually had a screening of St. Maud here the other night and I could actually, wa- I watched it and was like, oh, I this is like watching a completely different film because I'm in such a different headspace. I very much enjoyed going to it more than anything. <laughs> so. You looked pretty overwhelmed actually when I saw you there a couple of times. You're like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> Because before people knew who you were, then you might have known your face. They just thought, I've seen her in that Kate Beckinsale movie thing. And then, and but now you were pretty much like, everyone was going, you're the star of the festival. You've got four films in the festival. And you were like, oh my God, I don't know about this. It was just me and Rose wringing our hands in corners of parties, panicking. <laughs> so at least you would, be, you would be spared that this year. But a quick message for people, because St. Maud is coming out in the cinemas, which I think is great. I'm trying to tell people to go to the cinema to see it because it's one of those, it, it, it's got a big screen kind of, you know even though it's a small film it's got a big screen kind of quality to it that would be brilliant to see with other people in the dark also the music for me was a wonderful piece to see when i saw it and in the cinema that is wonderful and i really to anyone who feels that they're safe to go to the cinema that would be like amazing for people to see it i'm so happy that this film is coming out and i'm really proud of it but it also kind of is not as important as i previously would have felt it was in the world so it's quite kind of a weird like yeah. Yeah, but it still talks to people about certain things, and as you say, very in a way, it's very prescient about the world. So a lot of young people are feeling a lot of pressure at the moment, and this this might speak to them in in some strange, weird way that is quite touching. Yeah. Well, I do feel that when I watch St. Maud, I do imagine the opposite of it, and imagine kind of how everything could have been different and how small things could have made that happen. So yeah, I really, I I really just look forward to people seeing it. And as I've said, kind of because it is the ambiguity of horror means that every person who sees it kind of makes it their own in a way. And that's so exciting. Well, it's been very exciting to catch up with you and see that you're doing so well, flourishing so beautifully over there in New Zealand. Your hair does look very kind of Lord of the Ringsy, actually. So Lord of the Ringletsy. So I think um, I'm going to congratulate you on St Maud. And listen, when you come back, um, we'll we'll see you back in London and uh, congratulate you even more. I hope St Maud does great things in the cinema for the film and for you, Morphe Clark. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. And St Maud by Rose Glass and starring Morfith Clark is out in cinemas from October the 9th. So go to see it in a cinema, please. 
Dustin Johnson has been making movies for many years, mainly as a camera person, shooting documentaries such as Laura Poitras's Citizen Four and The Oath. She showed us that life behind the lens in her award-winning film Camera Person from 2016. And she's now got even more personal with Dick Johnson is Dead a film about her father, a prominent psychiatrist, suffering from dementia and yet helping out in a film about his own imminent demise. It's an extraordinary piece of work, difficult to comprehend on the outside, yet utterly heartfelt when you watch it and as Kirsten puts her dad through a series of possible scenarios around his own death, before, after and during. Okay. So he scored 22 uh-huh. in 2017. He's scoring 19 now. Oh, I've fallen apart. Do you think your memory is the same? Oh, it's better. It's better than it was? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably the same. Okay, do you I don't think it's any worse. Okay, so that's where we're going to ask your daughter for some information, if that's okay? Well, okay. Okay, so do you think his memory is changing? Yeah, you know, I... I was trying to think of something to say but I couldn't stop thinking about what's coming. His moments of forgetfulness are going to spread. He'll ask the same questions over and over again. His eyes will get that distant look. And his personality will begin to fade away. And he won't be able to follow what I'm saying, so I won't be able to ask him any more advice. And the whole time we'll just be trying to get by. I simply had to find out more about the making of this extraordinarily personal project, Dick Johnson is Dead. And I had to find out from Kirsten Johnson and to find out if Dick Johnson is dead. How lovely to see you, uh, Kirsten. Congratulations on your film. Just such a personal film. Everyone's had a father. Everyone's experienced that. That you must be suddenly finding that you've 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 hit a nerve that is so personal to you, and yet also universal. I think that's right. I mean, between the fact we're all going to die. Damn. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you put a dampener. You put a dampener on my day. Morning to you, right? <laughs> yeah. At some point during the making of the film, I was like, "If I die," and someone was like, "If." Not everyone has a close relationship with their parents. Not everyone has parents, etc. But on some level, we all have someone we're really afraid of them disappearing on us. So I do think that there is a way in which it connects to all of the things that we wish not to think about. Nobody really needed to see a film about my dad. Nobody wanted to see a film about dementia. And so from the beginning, I, I knew that it had to be bigger than just our personal story. How was he about it? I mean, obviously, the, the film deals with it, uh, him being uh, aware of it, sort of to a lesser uh, extent by the end uh, aware of it. He just seemed to want to help out with you. He went along with it like the gamest player you've ever seen. Oh, game is his name. <laughs> I mean, my dad, my dad, I think because he was a psychiatrist, he was always looking for the relief of laughter. I didn't realize it, I think, when I was young, how much pain my father was encountering in his psychiatric sessions and the fact that like laughter was part of how he was you know finding joy in the world but I've learned that over time that it's incredibly useful to laugh as much as possible. I mean your film is playful and it's funny in places in fact the the, the more tender it gets and the more difficult the uh, the sort of areas that you address in terms of his dementia and your relationships and the loss of your mother the more you 
become more playful in fact with the scenarios that you do it's almost like we're going to go dark and now I'm going to try and explode that did you see a, an arc to where it was all going as you were doing it because in some ways life must have taken unexpected turns as you were filming it oh absolutely I mean what what was super cool with this process was that I was working with longtime collaborators and we sort of conceptualized the doing of it as the form of it and we knew that the dementia would always be ahead of us so the idea was that it was just we were sort of toggling back and forth between the known and the unknown so that we would shoot a documentary situation and then sort of take that footage into the edit room examine it and then imagine how the fantasy or the future could enter into that footage you know it's fascinating and it's 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 easier to talk to you because you've dealt with it i suppose and i've dealt with it for you by watching your movie so it is a bit easier but it never gets easier i I would think to see one's father in that situation and let's get out here but cute too i mean the fact that he can use a sort of almost a filmic kind of you know let's get let's get out of here kind of line let's get out of here oh totally i mean he knows what get me what what gets me too you know like both on the level and i think you know whatever he he's playing he's playing to the camera at this point that's like, what i'm thinking gonna... <laughs> is he like oh i'm a movie star now by the way no he's got a diva no, on no, no. no. <laughs> he, I, you know i mean when the it premiered on netflix over the weekend i was like dad the movie's coming out it's going to all these countries and he's like ah didn't we finish that a long time ago? And I was like, well, yeah. And, you know, it was so great because uh, the premiere was his birthday. And he was in the New York Times. And my brother and sister-in-law were there. He's reading the New York Times. There's this, like, massive article about it. And he's like, is this for my birthday? That's crazy. <laughs> I didn't know the New York Times was covering birthdays. So, you know, it's in this crazy dimension but he every call he says i just want to make sure you know that i love you which is what he has done my entire life you know all of that stuff it's great chris and congratulations but to be it's a lovely relationship movie between a father and a daughter and it's just that comes through you know whatever you know playfulness you want to put on it whatever scenario you you kind of jump out with uh, the heart really comes through in the end and i don't think you would have been able to stop that no matter how how sort of ludic you got with it you know, I see myself in the world and I try to make things that are of value to the world, but this is it. This relationship has been so extraordinary, is so extraordinary. I really am still desperate that it not disappear. I mean, the stakes could not be higher for me. I don't want to give a spoiler away for anyone, but the scene, the funeral scene, let's see. I don't know if that's ever been done. Everyone thinks, what would it be like to be at my own funeral? I've I've been racking my brains to think if there's any movies that have done it before that anyone gets to see their own funeral. I, I can't remember one. And you, you, you I, it, it I, must be the, I, the I, ultimate I, one. I'm sure, I'm sure there are ones out there. The fact that we did it in the place that, you know, the place that is sacred for my family, the place where we did my mother's funeral with the people who were there for my mother's funeral. And in some ways, like the place where I sort of sat every Saturday of my childhood and and was transported to other places in my mind to actually do that, to turn the church of my childhood into a theater, but also have it be full of the true emotion of the people who've loved my family was an extraordinary experience. I thought what we were going to do was do that. And then someday when my father really dies, we'll be back again. But once we had done that, I was like, this is it. We've done the real funeral. It is done. 
Everyone wants no to be one... at their own funeral. It's the most common thing. And I can't believe that it hasn't, no one's really managed it before you, but you did, you've done it. Well, I think everyone wants to be at their own funeral. But the thing I didn't know until my mother's funeral is, oh, how I wanted her there at the end. You know, like we killed her funeral. Like we got the right flowers. The right people spoke. <laughs> like she would have loved it. I worked so, I was in such pain and we worked so hard to do it her way and we pulled it off and then she wasn't there which is just like this massive massive heartbreak but yeah. we know with your father this is that's how it would have been and he said i mean it's an extraordinary thing i I've, I've never seen it before and i just thought wow this is like a landmark event on on screen oh you're so lovely i keep getting emails from his best friend ray who's been getting is that the know, guy who was crying from, oh my god guy crying yeah. at the end he's a 91 year old and 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 people keep telling him you know he's an incredible actor and he's like getting more and more upset he's like that was real emotion <laughs> He's like, I know, I knew we were, Dick was alive, but I'm 91. Like, he, he was like, people don't understand what it is to be 90. Like, we know it's here. Simulation up to reality. We do that for exactly that reaction that you had. It was probably more powerful in the in the non-real than, than it would be yeah. in, the, in the reality. It certainly is now. You've taken the, you've taken the wind yeah. out of the sails. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always, you know, I'm always sort of, sort of interested in why the economy of cinema values uh, fiction films more than documentaries. And I think it's because of the emotional buffer that they allow so that, you know, Anthony Hopkins is extraordinary in The Father. But we know Anthony Hopkins doesn't have dementia. And that protects us when we leave the theater. When we finish watching Dick Johnson is Dead, like, we are not protected. You mentioned Anthony Hopkins there in The Father, a film which I actually haven't seen yet. So uh, you've obviously seen it. So I'm just going to ask you very quickly, Kirsten Johnson, have you seen anything yes. good lately? I had the great joy of um, recently watching the Mark Cousins series, Women Make Film. And I saw this incredible film from 1977 called The Ascent. And I'm going to mangle her name, but I think it's Larissa Shipko. And... Oh. This movie is sort of, it's about... But you, you saw her, the clip of it in his movie and you went to take, chase said, it after that. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I actually, I, I was asked to like do an introduction for the series and they sort of assigned me this film to yes. watch. We had Mark she on the died, show. He was on the show, so yeah, that's good. Yeah, she died in her early 40s. She had grown up in war. And this film is sort of the story of two men who are fighting against um, this invading German forces. And they're really different and they're sort of helping each other survive through it and yet they, they they make completely radically different choices and basically in the end one of them will not sell out to the germans and the other one does so that for the whole movie it's about survival and you know it's like freezing cold and they were really filming in the freezing cold and that you know it's just like it's just it's it's like a death it's like death everywhere and all you want to do is survive all you want to do is survive and then you see you know you see these people hanged and like you see a, a child hanged and she looks into the camera and then the man who you know sort of decided to sell out you suddenly see him lose the world once the others have died and he has survived and and the way it is shot like all you've been doing in the movie is thinking, I gotta survive, I gotta survive. And then in the last like 
four minutes of the movie, you realize surviving is worth nothing if you don't have your human integrity. It is so strong. It is so beautiful. And so it feels so relevant to this moment. Yeah. Because like the stakes are really high right now. It's sort of what do we, what are the acts of integrity we can do in this moment? There's a lot at stake right now. Um, and do we sort of just pretend that none of it's happening? Um, or do we, are we just like hustling for our own survival? So I really recommend the it. The Ascent. For this moment, the ascent. The ascent. I don't know for you. Uh, we, we the news reaches just just now about the closure of Cineworld, which is a big deal here in the UK. They're a big uh, chain in the US too. Uh, are we wow. losing our cinemas? Are we losing our cinemas? And what do, what happens if we lose our cinemas, Kristen Johnson? You know, I mean, I think none of us know. I think a lot of us know what we wish to fight for, and a lot of us know that why we love cinema is that people struggled against economic realities to create communities on our behalf and and to create places of physical gathering where we could encounter people we didn't know films we didn't know and we could share them you know i have this vivid memory of seeing sick kirby dick's film at moma and i went by myself the film shocked me and moved me so profoundly and I was sitting next to this man I didn't know we were holding hands by the end of the movie we went and had a drink afterwards you know like and and it was and it's like it's a person who I continue to know who loves movies right <laughs> and those kinds of things happen in movies and I and I also think sort of the the cathartic space of the movie theater, yeah. the shared cathartic space is truly meaningful. I do think, you know, a certain kind of cinema has always been against the odds. A certain kind of movie theater has always been against the odds. And the people who fought for it have done so not out of need for need for money, but out of love of the game, right? We're all doing this out of love of the game. So I, I don't think those people have gone anywhere. But if we don't have systems that support us, there, there are ways that it is bigger than us. So, I mean, I think we have to look to the larger systems to say, what are our values as societies to like move forward into this moment? Now, you're the, you're the great doc maker. You've got a doc on Netflix, which is fabulous because it has amazing docs on there, Netflix. Have you, have you seen any good docs on, on Netflix that you can recommend alongside your own? Not necessarily companion pieces. There are so many different sorts of docs, nonfiction now. You know, I just spoke recently um, with Yancey Ford, who made a film called Strong Island, that was from a couple of years ago and we just had such a powerful discussion about uh the way that cinema engages with death and how uh you know I i've always felt this like well, you bring a camera into the room you bring death into the room because you bring the future into the room right mm -hmm. and and so what yancy did with his film sort of Going, sort of going back into excavating his family's grief, I think um, for me is such a powerful film because there's a moment in the film where it sort of flips everything upside down. The actual image is flipped upside down. And I was like, oh, that, that's what happens when we experience the death of someone we love. The world just flips upside down. That's a very powerful sentiment. And now, now everyone's Zooming since the COVID thing has brought death into everyone's life a bit more than they perhaps wanted to. And that's fun, funny now that everyone's on camera more because they're Zooming more. So your, your theory about death coming into the room is, is slightly more poignant and haunting than, I, than perhaps I thought. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a long time ago when not that many people filmed, I remember, you know, I, I was a camera person and I remember being afraid to film my mother, afraid to film my father, because sort of the implication is if you're filming your parent, you're saying you are going to die. So, you know, you said, I feel something coming. 
Mm -hmm. right? And here you are putting all this time and effort into talking with me today, having this wonderful conversation. And yet I am sure the thought of calling one of your parents and saying, I'd love to do an interview with you Mm -hmm. puts a lump in your throat because it brings the admission of this imagination of someday they won't be here to have the conversation with. And I think that's what holds people back in some ways. It's like, it's too, it's too vivid. Yes. This idea, right? That that the recorded thing means that the live person will no longer be. But I hope that this Zoom moment frees up everyone to, in some ways, you know, to push record on a conversation that that is a scary conversation for you probably ask the person first if you can (laughs) (laughs) but but you know i think some of them like they may just it's like it may be just for you to have the conversation and you know that saying to them i'm going to record this will change the nature of it so so i'm i'm a little bit like in the camp of try to understand why that conversation feels impossible to do why it feels impossible to record and i think it's because it's the admission of what's coming. But I will bet that the older people who you're talking to, they already get it. It's like Ray. He's like, I'm 91. Listen, a lot my, of people are already gone. My mum will be delighted that I'm going to call her straight after this because she'd be like, you know, I call her enough anyway, but she'll be like, she, she's, she'll never not take the call. So I'm going to call my mum. That's right. Call your mum. Call your mum. And like, and maybe like, what is the question? You know, you spent time crafting these beautiful questions for me. What is the question that you might craft for your mother? And I do think for me, a recording of something is catalytic. It makes a new conversation happen. Mm. So if you say to your mother, I'm recording this call, suddenly you may hear like her nervousness about it or like, oh, she's dying to talk. Like the woman in Bosnia who was like, yeah, I always dress this well. Like I've been dying for someone to ask me that question, right? Yes. So so I think that's the wonderful thing Great. about the, the new space that opens. That's a brilliant thought uh, on which to leave it, Kristen. I'm going to call my mom. I know she's going to ask me, so I'm going to see you Friday night for dinner because that's how every every call ends, but I'm still going to call her and get that question out of her because that's her, that's her gonna- to a T. <laughs> Are you gonna Are you gonna ask your mom to watch Dick Johnson is Dead? Do you think she? Do you, what do you think she'd feel about it? Yeah, it could be difficult. Yeah, that could be squeamish. a tough one. It could be a little squeamish. She'll sit. She'll watch. She'll sit next to my dad and watch it, and she'll start nudging him, saying, oh, "Maybe that's like you. You know, you're already there." But but they're they're both fine. I don't know. That's going to be a tough one. Whether they'll go on so it. That- yeah, I mean, whether yeah. even they'll go on a title called Dick Johnson is Ted, I don't know if I tell them what it's about, because they'll know because they'll listen to the show. I'm so curious. I'm so curious to know. I mean, I have been getting all kinds of uh, responses from my father's very old friends and, you know, who 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 are like, you're telling it like it is. Um, so I think in some ways it is we who are afraid on behalf of people who already know more than we do. So I think in some ways just to examine, like, are we protecting ourselves? Yes. Um, you know, right. You don't want to know about their fragility. They already know it. Yeah, they do. And they know it more now than they perhaps they, they did because of friends and et cetera. Maybe we're, we're going to maybe be a bit, that'll be a family. That'll be a family watch. <laughs> well, yeah, I- I would love to hear, please. I would love to hear how it goes. I thought the Bond movie. I thought the Bond movie was the big family movie at the moment that we're all waiting for. But no, it turns out it's Dick Johnson is dead by Kristen Johnson. All the way, creating new family everywhere we can. I feel very family with you, and I'm like, I want to know. So call me on Friday too. I'll let you know. I'm not your mom, but call me and let me know. (laughs) 
<laughs> Real pleasure talking to you, Kristen. Thank you very much. Oh, you too. And Dick Johnson is Dead is showing on Netflix right now. And that's it for Seen Anything Good Lately this week. It's been wonderful hearing from Morphid Clark and from Kirsten Johnson and, of course, finding out what they watch when they take a break and how it helps inform everything else that they do, proving to me that often what we watch is what we are, or what we are is what we watch in some ways. It's all bound up. Hope you found something to enjoy amid all of that and that will reflect uh, the state you're in. Let me know through saggle at jasonsolomons.com. And don't forget to rate us and subscribe and tell me you love me because I'm needy like that. And it's also good for the algorithm, apparently. And the algorithm is way needier than I am and than you are. Thanks for listening. Great to have you. See you again next week when I'll be asking guests, including young South London documentary maker Yemi Bamiro, about Air Jordans, 90s hip-hop, the London Film Festival, and if he's seen anything good lately. Mm-hmm.